End of Life Services Linda Buenaventura 506B felt numb on the last day of her life. Her assigned counselor had momentarily left the assessment cubicle to get authorization for the necessary data. This was not at all how she imagined it. She reached up to the bridge of her nose and toggled her visor to suspend mode. This disabled the sound dampeners and allowed her to overhear the other clients nearby. What do you mean rejected? I said I want to die. No love. Nothing. I hate them all. Kill me before I kill you all. There was so much anger and hopelessness in the words all around her. For her, the decision to end her life was calm and emotionless. After she had resolved to do it there was a relief and peaceful feeling, unlike anything she had felt before. It was probably the closest thing to happiness she could remember since she was a child. The whole idea would have never occurred to her alone. It was only after a long night of drinking with a co-worker that she even knew that end-of-life services existed. Janice Greenwood 615C poured both of them another drink from the grooved, plastic cylinder. Their state-ruled unbreakable rubber cups had long since stopped keeping anything cold. The clear liquid tasted more and more like nail polish remover. It was supposed to be vodka or at least the bear in the fur hat on the side of the plastic bottle told them it was. Why would a bear wear a fur hat? Once my mother was in constant pain, end of life was immediately recommended by the doctors. Janice said. Didn't they have her on pain modification treatment or something? Linda asked her. She had been maxed out on all therapies for a while. They said there was no coming back from that. I mean, to have any sort of normal life again. We suspected it was getting too expensive and Enmity just did a treatment cost assessment without telling us. She continued. I thought this stuff was supposed to taste better the more you drank. I gave up on that idea about four cups ago. We shouldn't have let it get warm, Linda told her. Rookie mistake. You said you lost your father. Janice asked her. Was it end of life or? No, that never came up. It happened so fast. It didn't seem like we had even exhausted all our options and he was already gone, Linda said. She looked at the cup in her hand and with her thumb tried to feel for the seam where the two halves had been joined together. There it was. It was a huge relief, to be honest. Janice confessed, pouring herself another drink. I did a survivor inventory at her bedside. And with a visor swipe she was gone. She was startled at his return. Sorry to keep you waiting. I apologize for the lengthy interview process. It is mandatory when there is no obvious health condition. We just need to make sure that we provide you with the appropriate level of service. He said as he seated himself back at the table. You shouldn't be doing that, he said, noticing that she was listening in on other sessions. She toggled her visor back to active and all the outrage and despair disappeared. It never occurred to her that this could be such an angering experience. Once she had decided to file for end of life nothing ever upset her again.
your medical shows that you were taking the maximum levels of both the happy and well life. He asked. She was still amazed by the empty lack of sound that used to be angry shouting and pleading despair. It was still there surrounding her, but now some technology had just removed it from the air like an unwanted odor. The same technology that was going to remove her from this life. With just a visor swipe she would be gone. Will I die right in this chair? She wondered. Non-response will result in a termination of this interview and denial of services. Oh. Right. Both of those had only side effects. Nothing helpful. My skin itched from the inside and I couldn't stay awake or orgasm, she said. Fine. There is just one more thing we need to do before we finalize your request. Please place your visor in the interface circle indicated on the table surface. She plucked the crescent of metal and microelectronics from the bridge of her nose and placed it on the table. Once connected it was illuminated from below by a white glowing light. She was suddenly struck by how beautiful it was. The counselor pulled open a menu from the circle and brought up a virtual file folder. Placing it between them on the table he spun it to face her. Survivor Inventory? We need you to view the relations you are leaving behind and let us know if they need to be informed. Also please tell us if there is anyone missing from our file. She looked from her visor to the folder displayed on the table surface and began to reach for it. I'm sorry you will need to let me do that. This is a guided inventory and we also need to measure your reaction to each image. Just put your right hand flat on the response plate. Please. She placed her hand flat on the designated area on the table and light emitted from under the surface where her hand made contact. The shape of her hand glowed a warm red. He opened the first image from the folder. It showed a 40-something man with joyless eyes and a receding hairline. He looked like the losing coach of an unpopular sports team. The counselor glanced at his notes and the biometric display on his side of the table. Brother. Driscoll. Four years younger. The leaves had started falling early that season. They covered the large green space of their residence. There was an automated refuse system that was used to clear them away, but her family had paid to have it disabled. Her parents thought it built character to have their children clear the leaves. Driscoll lay on top of the pile of leaves gathered so far. She tried to ignore his laziness and continued to use her plastic rake to pull more leaves toward the pile. The edges of her hands felt raw. If you're not helping, I am telling. She said. Her brother continued to wallow in the leaves. Make it deeper. She kept piling leaves until he disappeared into them. Why won't you help me? Why won't you help me? She yelled. This time at a much older Driscoll, now married and in his thirties. Marlene is pregnant. I can't take time off work. The reallocation company will provide someone to help you. You don't have any kids. You'll be fine. He paused, then continued. You brought this on yourself. I don't know what you expect me to do. 
His excuses piled up like dead leaves until he disappeared from her life. Diane? Mother. Remarried. The counselor interrupted. She was now looking at a woman with piercing blue eyes and black hair that had surrendered to a crackly gray color a long time ago. Her expression was like a patient in a psychiatric hospital staring blankly in the general direction of a television. You are being ridiculous. Just calm down. Her mother told her. It was one of her earliest memories. They were outside. The sun was bright and her mother was sitting on the patio annoyed by her daughter's sobbing. The little girl had gotten upset and cried so hard that her nose had filled with mucus and her chest was heaving as she tried to catch her breath. I can't. I can't. Was all the girl could sputter at her mother. A four-year-old Linda had run to her and stood at her knees crying and looking up. Her mother wouldn't even look back at her. Only away in disgust. The desperate feeling of being ignored made her cry harder. The little girl felt like she was drowning. These may be her very last few thrashing, panicked breaths. You're not dying. Just breathe. Her mother said. This was more than 30 years later. I blame myself for divorcing your father. It taught you to give up. She added. Marcus walked into the room. They're getting divorced. Her mother told her stepfather. Are you looking for your home medic, honey? Where did you use it last? Retrace your steps. Her mother stood up and walked off camera and out of the room following Marcus. Is it in your coat pocket? Where did you go? Marcus. Stepfather. The counselor said, after flipping to the next image. She saw the face of a man that never quite looked familiar. He had an oddly out-of-date hairstyle and facial hair. His face looked caring but dull. Linda, stop. I am taking that thing and getting rid of it. Let me talk to my mother. She yelled. I told you she had an accident. The home medic messed something up and tripled her medication. She can barely speak right now. Connect. Her. Now. She continued to scream at her stepfather. Her first thought was that he had tried to kill her mother. Lindy? Is that you, baby? Her mother's voice sounded slow and far away. She looked like she was asleep, but somehow talking. Are you in trouble again? Her mother's image swayed in the call window. I am so sorry you were bullied in school. I wasn't a good mother. Wasn't there for you, we should get you some beautiful paintings for your foyer. Mom, I live in a low-rank one-room residence since the divorce. She interrupted her mother's sleepy voice. I just need. The call window switched back to only Marcus. We are not spending any more time or money on you. Call the reallocation service if you need help. He said. The call disconnected. Linda felt anger and disgust as she looked away from the image of her stepfather. The counselor made a notation in his report. Her mother's decision to remarry had always felt like a betrayal. 
My father. Bring up my father, she demanded from the counselor. Kenneth? Birth father? Deceased? We don't need your response to non-surviving relations. Her memories came without the prompting of an image. They stood around her father's bed in the long-term treatment center. He looked so weak and delicate that he could have been made of paper. She was with her ex-husband. They had not told her father about the divorce. Hi, Daddy, she managed to say. We made it. Lucky Lindy. He turned his head slowly toward her. His voice was just a little more than a whisper. Nathan. Her father said noticing he was standing there too. Thanks for coming. Of course. You gonna beat this? There will be a bunch of grandchildren you won't get to meet if you don't. He smiled and pulled Linda toward him with one arm. She was surprised by the care and warmth in his lie. That was the last time she saw her former husband or her father. Later that night she was told by the center that her father was dead. His daily care limit had been exceeded triggering a suspension of resuscitation services. It felt like in a single afternoon, she had lost both the men in her life. From that day onward it was all a confusing stumble through low-rank living and even lower ambition jobs. It would be years before she found a solution to her misery. Her father was this powerhouse, an energy that would always be there for her. He was a way for her to reset and come back at life with a renewed determination. His words could almost bring her back from the dead. She was back in the assessment cubicle. The pain she felt made her feel eternal. She saw her father's face, the happiness and hope he felt for her when they lied about his future grandchildren. She had run away from the pain of his death and the shame of that betrayal ever since that day. This decision to use a technological backdoor to run away again was wrong. She would face the pain. Her life would be as close to what it might have been as she could make it. Death created this. It can't fix it, she said. Pulling her middle finger in with her thumb, she reached over and flicked her visor off the table. It made a metallic ping as it hit the wall and the last memory of her father was replaced with a reconnection required alert. Enmity Stories This story was brought to you by the Enmity Corporation and produced using licensed AI voice technology. For more stories please visit EnmityCorp.com or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform.